You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to a brand new week of Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 as we're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can check out our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Tough weekend for LSU baseball on the plains of Auburn. We'll recap that series. A good weekend for the Raging Cajuns on the diamond. We'll look at both baseball and softball for that. LSU softball picking up two out of three over Georgia at home this weekend as well. We'll also talk about the McNeese Cowboys, the NBA playoffs, the Houston Astros, and a whole lot more. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing all right, Matt. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Back here for another week. Uh, always fun to to stare at you for two hours a day. That's uh, it's, it's pretty good. So I mean, it's not it's not too bad. But let's let's start with LSU. You haven't lost a conference. You haven't lost a series. All season. You haven't lost back-to-back games all season. And Friday night, things start off swimmingly for you if you're if you're LSU. You pick up a, a 3-0 win behind a 15-strikeout performance from your ace in Paul Skeens. You keep Auburn a, a pretty good offensive team. As we found out chatting with Jacob Goins late last week, a, a good offensive team. You kept them completely off the board. Only seven hits. Now, Trey Morgan absolutely carried you offensively Friday night. So shout out to the first baseman left fielder can do it all, man. And then you get 15 strikeouts from Skeens. Great. Great start to the series. You know, things are things are great for LSU. And then you go to Saturday. Now, Saturday doesn't start until 8 o'clock. You know, that, that throws some things off. LSU jumps out to a 2-0 lead. Auburn comes back and scores three of their own in the fourth. You score two more in the fifth to take the lead right back. And then a four-run sixth inning. For Auburn, makes it seven to four in favor of the Tigers. Hayden Travinsky comes up in the seventh, hits a solo shot, makes it seven five. But then Auburn was able to add a solo shot of their own in the seventh, in the bottom of the seventh, to make it eight to five. And then you added one more run on in the eighth and just could not come all the way back. So you fall eight to six. We, we've talked about this a lot. Poor pitching on the back end of the bullpen has been a big issue for LSU. And and you look at it, Ty Floyd, he gave up three runs in his three and two-thirds innings, but he had nine strikeouts. So Ty Floyd was great. Right, you can live with that. 
That's, he was great. But the other five pitchers that came in combined for four strikeouts and had the final five runs. Five runs. Bryce Collins pitched a third of an inning. And in that third of an inning, gave up two hits, two runs, and he hit a batter. That's just not going to fly. <laughs> I mean, you just can't have that. And that's kind of been, I've talked about this before, being a little worried that that's going to be the kryptonite for LSU. And so you look at this game as a whole, right? You fall 8-6, to six, close game all the way through. It never got super out of hand. No, and you kind of figured, well, there's, you would think, okay, well, Saturday is a good chance for Auburn to win since, you know, they moved their Friday guy to Saturday. Correct. They brought in Tommy Vale, and he had eight strikeouts. And so you look at Saturday and you go, okay, 1-1. They pitched their guy. We'll come back on Sunday and handle we'll, business. we'll seal the deal. We'll handle business. We'll seal the deal. And it starts off great. Gavin Dugas hits a home run first top of the first inning. One nothing very early. And then the wheels came off. <laughs> right after that. The wheels came off. A RBI single with the bases loaded. Walked in a run. Walked in a run. Walked in a run. You walked in three runs in the first inning. And then a couple more RBI singles made it 6-1 to one by the time we were done with the first frame. And 7-1 to one in the second. And then a two-run triple in the fourth made it 9-1 to one before you finally put a run back on the board to make it 9-2. to two. But then a two-run triple in the sixth and an RBI single in the eighth made it 12-2. to two. Ten runs after eight innings, that would be the ball game. It's crazy because you don't hear too many triples nowadays. No, in baseball, no. It's like okay, an RBI triple, sure, but how? Not only did it once, but he did it both times with RBI triples. LSU looked sloppy yesterday. You only got six hits as a team. You had three errors. Mm-hmm. You walked in three runs. I, I am, I'm more concerned about that than I am about the three errors. You walked in three runs with the bases loaded. You can't do that at any level of baseball. You certainly can't do that in the SEC. Every team in that conference, whether they're ranked number one in the conference or they're ranked number 14, every team in that conference will make you pay if you hand them three runs. They will. And that's exactly what you handed them three runs. Here you go. Here, here's this silver platter. Here's three runs on top of it. Enjoy. And look, bad days at the office happen. It's baseball. But now, now you got to look at it and figure out how do you respond. Because you're right back on the field tomorrow to play Northwestern State in a midweek game which you have, other than the game last week against Southeastern, you have struggled in your last two out of the three midweek in-state games. So we'll see how that goes tomorrow night. And then next weekend, or this coming weekend, should I say, 
three games with Mississippi State at the box. Now, Mississippi State having a little bit of a down year. They're not the program that they normally are, but it's still Mississippi State. LSU has to respond and respond in a big way this weekend. And you're going to need your pitching to carry you. Not to carry you. Because look, you know what you're going to get out of Paul Skeens. You've seen it time and time again. Each and every Friday, you know what you're going to get out of him. You're not worried about Paul. Ty Floyd, pretty consistent for Saturday. As of late, yeah, he has been. Like he's, he's gotten better about it. It's just Saturday and the bullpen that really worries you. And then Sunday is anybody's guess. Yeah. Because, look, I like Christian Little, but he has struggled this year. There are games where you know he can pitch four innings and looks great, and then there's games where he can't make it out of the second. You have to find more consistency, A, in the back end of the rotation, and B, in the back end of the bullpen. Because I've said it before, and I will say it again, those pitching, that pitching inconsistency will cost you a national championship. It will. The offense can only carry you, and as dominant of an offense as it is, an offense can only carry you so far. And you're not asking for masterclass work from the pitching. No. You're just asking for them to pull their you're asking for that to be a little more weight pulled from that side. Do do just enough mm-hmm. to where a typical offensive performance from LSU wins you the game. Right. Because it's like if you give up five, that's not the worst thing in the world because you would think the offense can score seven to ten. You would think. That, that's, now, now this series showed a lot different because you won three to zero on Friday, and you only scored two runs on Sunday. Correct. So now, for the first time this season, LSU is not the number one ranked team in the country. They have fallen to number two as of today. Wake Forest overtook the number one spot. They're thirty-seven and ten on the season, sixteen and seven in the SEC. Again, they will host Northwestern State tomorrow before a three-game series with Mississippi State. And then you've got McNeese at home. So you're going to play five straight home games, which should fare pretty well for you. That should help you get back on track. And then you've got a three-game series against a middle-of-the-road Georgia team. They're not terrible, but they're not great. And then it's the SEC tournament. Season's over. Now, now, now it's time to, to really pony up. Because... From May 23rd to June 26th, you hope you got to win a lot of baseball. You got the SEC tournament, you got the regional, you got super regionals, and then you've got Omaha. So, in that 33 day span, you're going to have to have consistent pitching if you want to lift a trophy at the end of it. Just need one guy from the bullpen. To be a consistent guy for you. Just just one that can step up. Minimum one. That's what I, if you can get at least one guy. You would you, that, you would prefer two. I mean, or if three. you can, if you can get two or three, I mean you're Sid Honky Dory. You're you're happy as a clam. But if you can get Paul Skeens to do his thing, Ty Floyd to keep up that consistency, if you can find someone that isn't gonna 
kill you with that third game and then get somebody that can step up for you in the bullpen, you'll feel a lot better about this throughout the rest of the game, for throughout the rest of the season. Right. Yeah, and look, we talked about this last week. Pitching seems to be an issue for a lot of people this year. Uh, but uh, again, like I said, the inconsistency in pitching that you saw this weekend out of LSU, and you've seen it a couple other times before, uh, may very well cost this legendary offensive team a shot at a national championship. Great show lined up for you today. Hunter Bauer is going to join us at 4.30 to preview the high school baseball state tournament semifinals and finals later on this week in Lake Charles. Justin McLeod is going to join us at 5. Conference tournaments in the Southland, SEC, and Sunbelt. We'll preview all three of them. And then Dane Lewis joins us at 5.30 to give you the latest on the NHL playoffs. All that and much more coming up on today's edition of Crunch Time right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The St. Thomas Moore Cougars are headed to Sulphur for the, the Division II Select Semifinals. And you can listen to the action live here on The Game. Pre-game begins at 445 and first pitch is set for 5 Wednesday afternoon. And Danny Jones will be on the call. And once again, hear it right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 419, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Hit us up on The Game Hotline, 337 706 one one one. We talked about LSU baseball. Let's talk about LSU softball. So they had a ton of moving parts this weekend at Tiger Park due to all the weather that we saw this weekend. The first game was supposed to be at six. It didn't get started until six thirty. LSU falls three to one in that one to fall behind in the series pretty early on. Saturday's game was supposed to start at three. It gets moved up to it was it was supposed to be at three. It gets delayed until Sunday. They played it at noon yesterday, a two to one win for LSU, a two run single in the fourth was enough to hold off the Bulldogs there in that one. And then the last game, which was supposed to get played at one o'clock Sunday got moved to 250. This game was all LSU from the jump. A two-run homer in the bottom of the first from Georgia Clark, an RBI double from Taylor Pleasance, a two-run double from SEC Player of the Week, Allie Newland. She had an RBI single in the sixth, 9-1 to one in a run rule for LSU over Georgia to take the series in Baton Rouge. Now, when you look at their record on the season, they are 40 and 14. They are 13 and 11 in the SEC, 25 and 7 at home at Tiger Park. Now, let's talk about the Cajuns and what a weekend it was on both sides of the diamond. 
for Louisiana. Both got to bring out the brooms. Let's start with baseball. They traveled up to Monroe. They're actually still there because uh, they're going to play Louisiana Tech tomorrow night. Friday night, 8-4 to four win for Louisiana. And look, you know, this was a game where the Cajuns desperately needed to get right. They had the long layoff after dramatically dropping that series to Coastal. They had time to, you know, get their heads right and look at where they were as a team. You get an RBI single from Julian Brock, a two-run single from Connor Higgs, who ended up getting tagged out at second on the play. John John Taylor brings in a run on an RBI ground out. Carson Rockefort then hits a two-run double in the sixth. An RBI single from Julian Brock. An RBI double from Heath Hood. And that really just kind of paced the Cajuns away from ULM to win that game, like I mentioned, 8-4. to four. The only homer in the game coming in the bottom of the ninth when... Sean Weatherby from ULM was able to hit a solo shot to left center. That made it 8-4, to four, and that would be the final score. And then Saturday was another one of those games where, look, you came out to the early advantage. You had everything going for you. You just needed to continue it. And the Cajuns offense showed up yet again. 12-4 to four this time. Started with a two-run homer in the second from Carson Rockefort. Max Marshak comes in to score on a wild pitch. And then in the third, you had a solo homer from Kyle DeBarge. I think he's back. Maybe, just maybe. Uh, Heath Hood scores on an error from the pitcher. RBI sacrifice fly from John Taylor to score Brock. Then a Max Marshak See, Max Marshak, he is so, it's so incredible to watch what he does. So he lays down a bunt. And considering that he's one of the fastest players in the entire country, he does this quite often. He lays down a bunt, fully prepared to just be an RBI sacrifice, and he ends up reaching because he's super fast and they just can't make the play. Uh, So that's exactly what happened there in the third. He comes back in the fifth, hits an RBI single again. Now it's 8-1 Louisiana. C.J. Willis reaches on a fielder's choice to score John Taylor. It's 9-1. And then in the sixth, same situation. Connor Higgs reaches on a fielder's choice to make it 10-1. ULM would use the sixth inning to make a small comeback. They'd put up three runs in their half of the sixth thanks to a couple of RBI singles. And then in the ninth, Carson Rockefort with an RBI single and Max Marshak with an RBI triple to make it 12 to 4. And again, that would be the final score in that one. The Cajuns only using four pitchers. The the whole pitching by committee thing kind of seems to be working. If I'm being honest, Carson Fluno goes five and a third, gives up eight hits, four runs. He struck out eight. In the contest, Brendan Moody, Stephen Cash, and Jerry Couch would come in to finish the job. And that performance, James, was against ULM's ace. ULM held their guy for Saturday. 
and the Cajuns were still able to put 12 runs up on the Warhawk offense or on the Warhawk defense. And then yesterday's game, really at this point, the Cajuns just had so much momentum and I don't think anybody was was going to slow them down. A four-run first inning thanks to Higgs, Brock, Rockefort, and Taylor, and then a home run from Marshock in the second suddenly made it 5 nothing, and then an extra run in the third, and then four more in the fifth. 10 nothing. the game got delayed several times. There was a lightning delay of an hour and a half in the fourth inning. They come back. The Cajuns put up those extra four runs. The game gets delayed again due to lightning and rain. And by that point, they had played six innings. That is long enough to make it an official game. And the umpire said, let's go home. So they called it in the sixth. Cajuns win 10 to nothing. They sweep the Warhawks. They now sit at 32 and 17 on the season. They will play Louisiana Tech tomorrow night before returning to MLT Moore Field for a three-game set with Texas State this weekend. It's going to be a very busy time around the UL Complex this weekend. You're going to have a three-game set with baseball with Texas State, and then right there at Lampson, you're going to be hosting the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. So definitely going to be busy, definitely going to have our hands full. Speaking of softball, a sweep of ULM on senior weekend. I mean, look, do, do you come to expect anything different at this point with Jerry Glasgow's group? They haven't lost a conference series in 10 years. They're 22-2 and two now in the Sun Belt 43-13 on the season. 5-1 to one Thursday night. They run-ruled them on Friday 9 to nothing, And then 9-1 to one on Saturday thanks to a grand slam from Carly Heath on senior day, just absolutely tattooed it right over the scoreboard in right field. That made it 8-1. to one. And then the walk-off fielder's choice in the fifth made it 9-1. to one. Kendra Lamb started that game in the circle for Louisiana. She goes forward two-thirds, five hits, only one run. She struck out two, and then Sam Landry came in to finish the job. She faced one batter through five pitches and got the strikeout. So now 43-13, and 13, Louisiana will prepare to host the Sunbelt Conference Tournament later this week. Following that win, head coach Jerry Glasgow talked about how the team chemistry is incredibly high after the weekend. Yeah, I think right now for us, like team chemistry is a critical, critical thing, and we've really got some good vibes going and some good, and that's that's what we're going for, and that's that's the purpose of all this, to have fun on senior weekend, honor our seniors correctly, and, and then for the program just to make sure we win. And I want to make sure we played well this weekend and, and uh, go into the conference tournament with some momentum as well. Senior Carly Heath talked about how two years ago on senior day, the Cajuns fell to ULM. So what did they do to prepare for this weekend? They re-watched the film of that loss all week long. 
every time we've had senior weekend, uh, we go and watch um, like just videos of us losing. And it's just, especially when we came, uh, especially when Thursday, Thursday before uh, pregame meeting, we watched film on us losing from two years ago. And just keeping that and going in, it's like we have to, we have to win, we have to beat them. Enjoy our senior day and not the way that we had it two years ago. And then Jerry Glasgow and Justin Robichaux made sure that Kendra Lamb was taken out of the game to where she could get a standing ovation on senior day. And when asked about that moment, Kendra Lamb said it was emotional. So me and Coach Justin had a conversation about uh, doing it either in the fifth and the sixth, and as soon as Carly hit that home run, I was like, do it in the fifth. Like, we're going to walk it off in the bottom of the fifth. If we don't do it now, like, I don't want to, like, wait and miss it because I knew they were willing to do that for me. But, I mean, him coming out, pulling me, having my family in the crowd, and then all my teammates around in the circle giving me hugs, and Sophie especially. Yeah, it was it was really emotional. Oh, and by the way, Kendra Lamb confirmed for us. Because, look, here's the thing. When, you're, when you fly across the world like that from Australia to southwest Louisiana, you can't just come in for a couple of days. Right? You can't come in for a couple of days. So she, she told us that her family's going to be here through the conference tournament and potentially beyond. So definitely cool that her family was able to come watch her play for the first time in a Cajun's uniform for senior weekend. 4.30, we're going to take a timeout here on Crunch Time. When we return, Hunter Bauer of GoPreps.com, he's going to join us. We'll talk about the state baseball tournament and what our local teams are facing in the state semifinals and potentially a state championship game right here on the game. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 435, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 as we are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The 2023 LHSA Baseball State Tournament semifinals and finals are taking place in Sulphur this weekend at McMurray Park. And there are quite a few of our local teams in the mix, including the STM Cougars, their semifinal game on Wednesday. You'll hear it right here on the game with pregame beginning at 445. Hunter Bauer of GoPreps.com joins us on the game hotline to preview the road for some of our local teams. Hunter, really appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing great. How are y'all today? Oh, doing well, man. Thanks for asking. So let's start with tomorrow's schedule in the select division. Number one, Washtenaw Christian. Number four, Opelousas Catholic. Talk to me about this matchup, especially from an Opelousas Catholic standpoint. And, you know, what are you expecting out of this matchup? Yeah, well, you know, Opelousas Catholic's going to get the very best when they play uh, when, when they play against uh, Washtenaw Christian. You know, OCS just has a very um, uh, tradition rich program over there. Nine state championships in their history. Uh, won it all last year. Uh, won it all two years ago. Was in the game last year. Um, and and Opelousas Catholic was in the game. Uh, was in the championship game two years ago as well. So two very highly competitive teams. Uh, you know, Washtenaw Christian is just one of those schools that, uh, you know, 
whether it's the the regular season or the postseason, they just seem strong. They don't they don't seem to fall off much uh, during the regular season. Uh, but you know, it goes to show you how strong these fields are uh, with this new playoff format. You know, Opelousas Catholic had some very close games uh, against Catholic Point of P. But shut out a uh, district rival of Washington Christian St. Frederick ten to nothing. So it's all about you know getting there to Sulphur, getting on that turf field, uh, playing in those conditions. Hopefully the rain will stay away. Uh, but you never know. Opelousas Catholic may come in there and, and catch Washington Christian uh, napping, and it could be a good game. That game once again taking place two o'clock tomorrow on field number forty at McMurray Park. Now. Let's go to Wednesday. Six games on the schedule. Five of them feature local teams. Let's start with the 11 a.m. game in select Division Three, Number 3, Notre Dame, and number 7, Holy Savior Menard. What's it looking like for the Pios? Yeah, this is uh, this is another division. This is another division I think is going to be uh, very interesting to watch uh, over the next couple of days. Uh, you know, Notre Dame uh, coming off the championship win in 2021. Dunham has never uh, never won a state title. It's been uh, since 2005 since they've been to a state uh, uh, title game. So it's been a while. Uh, you got some kids over there that you know really don't uh, uh, really don't know the environment. Hasn't been around that environment. Uh, Saint and um, I'm sorry, Notre Dame plays Menard. I'm sorry. There's too many brackets there, uh, Matt. <laughs> That I'm looking at. I'm, try- I'm sitting there. I'm like, wait a minute. That that doesn't seem right. I'm sorry. Notre Dame uh, is playing against Menard, and Menard's a really good uh, uh, squad, but they have not been to uh, a state title uh, a, a state title game since t- 2007. Uh, but they do have a couple titles under their belt. Um, Notre Dame's just one of those that uh, they've been really good the last couple years. I, I think that momentum's going to carry in. Uh, into uh, into this season, and uh, I think they'll get the job done uh, on Wednesday, and uh, may set up a, a really good uh, title game with maybe St. Charles. It seems like they played St. Charles in, yep. in the finals of a lot of sports these days. So, going to be that's going to be a good division to watch. Yeah, that's definitely become a rivalry of sorts between Notre Dame and St. Charles, especially in the postseason. And then at 2 p.m. in non-select Division Three, both matchups featuring a local team. Let's start with number one Kinder and number five Berwick. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I think this is going to be Kinder's year to win it all. Uh, you know, they they do have a. A uh, tough contingent on the other side. You got, you know, a South Beauregard team and, and a Dole team that are, are looking to get back to the uh, the title game. Uh, Dole's actually been the last three years and and ha- have not been able to win it. But uh, I, I think this is a a, a year where uh, Kinder is really the strongest team in the field, and I think it's going to show this week. Uh, so look for Kinder to uh, come away. And look, Berwick's no pushover. They won the state title last year. Uh, uh, over there in, in Sulphur. So, uh, you know, you can't count Burke out, but it just seems like Kinder has so much talent uh, on the field right now. Um, it's going to be tough to beat them. And the other one on the other side of that bracket, number two, South Beauregard against number three, Doyle. Yeah, you know, like I said, Doyle is uh, Doyle's really trying to get over the hill uh, over there. They got, well, again, the last three uh, state title appearances in the last three consecutive years and, and haven't been able to... Uh, to complete the job, but uh, you know, South Beauregard is another one of those teams that uh, over here in Southwest Louisiana, there's just a strong baseball team. I think that's going to be a really good game 
for those two. Um, but again, I think that I think the division is Kinder's to win. Uh, if you get a Kinder Dole matchup, I think you're going to come out uh, uh, an excited fan either way. I think you're going to get a really good matchup. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I think the dark horse in this, uh, in all this, and dark horse as a number two seed, but uh, South Beauregard, uh looks for them maybe to make some noise if they can knock off Dole. And then later that afternoon, the final two games, number one, St. Louis Catholic, number five, Vanderbilt Catholic. Is this the year that the Saints can, can punch another state championship? Gosh, you know, it, you would think, uh, you know, they, they went to the state finals uh, uh, two years ago, um, have four state titles under their belt. You know, I want to say they're the favorite, but then you get these great teams like Vanderbilt and St. Thomas More, and then Edie White, who won their their uh, their second game in the series against De La Salle this afternoon, so they'll be advancing to the uh, the semifinals. You know, you get a lot of great teams in there. Uh, St. Louis and Edie White and St. Thomas More, they were the top three in their division uh, in the power ratings, but I don't know. You know, St. Catholic, uh, St. Louis Catholic has just uh, dominated. Uh, in the quarterfinals, they they posted a shutout, posted another shutout in the regional uh, over some you know pretty decent teams, um, and, and have really they really haven't had a bad uh, last couple of months. I think their last loss was to Bar back in early March. So uh, they know how to win. The momentum's getting there. Uh, so we'll have to see how it works. But uh, you know, on the other side, St. Thomas More, um, man, you know. Uh, 2015 is the last time they've been to the state finals. Another hungry to get back. Uh, they got a pretty pretty impressive resume over there uh, in their own right. So they've played a lot of really tough teams, especially early in the season. Uh, but I think it's helped prepare them. And they actually played a three game series against St. Louis Catholic back in the uh, back in March. Uh, went 0 3 against St. Louis. So they can get in the state finals with St. Louis. They're, uh, you know, they really have a chance. It's a new season, but uh, look for them to be out for blood a little bit. Yeah, you know, you talked about St. Thomas More. You can catch that game Wednesday afternoon right here on the game between STM and De La Salle. Let's go to Thursday now. Let's start with non-select Division Two, number four Eunice and number eight Lake Shore. How do the Bobcats get to the state championship game? You know what? I'm actually. <laughs> I, I never like to pick teams, but I'm actually rooting for uh, for Eunice. You know, they, it's been since 1979 since they went to the state finals, but Lakeshore's never uh, appeared in a state final game, much less won one. So, you know, whoever whoever wins in that one's going to uh, be be celebrating whether they win a state title or not. Just the the, the kind of season they've had and, and how they've been able to uh, to advance to the uh, to the final four here in Sulphur this week. But you know, on the other side as well. Uh, North DeSoto and Iowa, uh, Iowa, another local team. Uh, you know, North DeSoto's last state championship and only state championship win was back in 2012. Iowa's only state championship win uh, was in 2007. So between all four of these teams, uh, the, the latest that any of them has ever won is 2012. So that just shows to see uh, how tough this division was. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're going to get a, a, you know, a new champion. Uh, out of this either way, but you know I think Eunice is, is clearly the the favorite in this, and uh, as far as uh, getting everybody's attention and, and and doing the things that they need to do, but certainly you have to pay attention to Iowa and North Dakota too. North Dakota's got a strong team. Iowa, uh, you know, pulled an upset uh, last week to to get to Sulphur, so uh, definitely a division uh, again that's going to make some history this weekend. Again, if Eunice can get there, it'll be the first time. 
uh, since 1979. And then lastly, chatting with Hunter Bauer of GoPreps.com. Let's skip to non-select Division One, one, two, three, and four, all <laughs> in the semifinals. Let's start with the first one, number one, West Monroe against the Broncos of Sam Houston. Yeah, you know, Matt, this is uh, this is the vision everyone's been asking me about, and you know, I just I don't know. You know, um, West Monroe, uh, obviously defending champion from uh, the Class Five A last year, uh, definitely deserve it. Was a very good team. Returned a lot of those players uh, from last year's state championship team uh, for this year. You, you've got uh, Hayden Federico, which is a, a, a old Miss. Signee, you've got uh, Trey Halsey, Louisiana Tech signee, uh, and then a couple of LSU signings as well, and John Pearson and uh, Braden Garner. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, you know, the odds-on favorite to win this, uh, but you're going up against the Sam Houston. I mean, you're going up against three teams that uh, play in the same district uh, and have a lot of history uh, behind their programs including Sam Houston. You know, their last appearance was in 2019. Haven't won a title since 2001, but definitely uh, I, I think in a spot to maybe if they could pull it together, um, maybe provide an upset over West Monroe, and wouldn't that be big and you'd be able to uh, play a, a rematch from district either way against Sulphur and Barb. Um, you know, Barb's looking to get back into the win column uh, in the state championship game. Their last one was in 2021. Sulphur's never won a state title. So, again, just a lot of storylines heading into the uh, into the semifinal and finals weekend over there in Sulphur. Uh, but man, it seems like West Monroe's the lone man out over there. They're they're going to try to uh, navigate through the the District Three Five A uh, group to, uh, to to repeat as champions. But like I said, West Monroe's got so much firepower. Uh, but so do Barb and so do Sulphur. Sam Houston. They got a lot of great pitching, and uh, obviously they can hit the ball as well. Uh, but um, in the state, I think West Monroe is the odds-on favorite right now. Yeah, you know, you took the words out of my mouth. You talked about all the different storylines. Barb, Sam Houston, and Sulphur all play in the same district, so they're very comfortable with, with, with one another. Do you think that that comfort and that knowledge of each other kind of creates an advantage for the three teams, or, or not really since they all three have the same? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it, it reminds me of a, a – you know, a college uh, conference championship tournament. Uh, you know, you pretty much by this time, you know what the other team does. And, uh, you know, basically it just all comes out to uh, you got to go out there and and, uh, and and play the game. You got to, uh, you know, got to pitch well. You got to hit well. Uh, got to do better than another team. And like I said, no one really has secrets. Uh, you're gonna, you know you're going to face their best uh, pitchers uh, going in there, and you've already seen them. Uh, but, you know, I think for Barman and Sulphur, it's more comfortable than I would say for Sam Houston uh, going up against uh, West Monroe. Um, you know, even if you do play them earlier in the year, that's earlier in the year, you don't really see them like you do in district play. Uh, so, you know, but saying that, Sam Houston's a really good team. They know how to play those good teams. And, uh, man, just look for it to be a competitive weekend. Softball was very competitive last week, had a lot of great championship games. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a new fan of this format, and uh, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna show uh, it's gonna show well this week. I think we're gonna have a lot of great baseball games. 
Hunter Bauer of GoPreps.com joining us here on Crunch Time. Hunter, appreciate your time as always. Uh, enjoy the crazy weekend over there in Sulphur, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Yeah, hopefully the weather stays good and uh, yeah, we no get kidding. the baseball play. But uh, appreciate it, Matt. Thank you so much. And there he goes, Hunter Bauer of GoPreps.com. If you haven't seen his work over at GoPreps.com, they do incredible work anything you need to know about louisiana high school sports he's got it for you at gopreps.com we'll take a time out wrap up hour number one right after this this is crunch time on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros if you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, well, not to worry because the game 1037 Lafayette on 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway as Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. And as always, Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up hour number one here in the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Do want to remind you, don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise from the weekend? Was the Astros losing to the Mariners? Was it Say Mage winning the Kentucky Derby? Was it LSU losing their series to Auburn? Or was it something else? Right now, the vast majority is leaning towards those Tigers baseball team losing to the Auburn Plainsman Warhawk Eagle thing. I definitely am leaning towards that as well because you look at Astros. Both them and the Mariners are playing 500 balls, so you're not shocked that either one of them won that series. Mage winning the Kentucky Derby. I mean, with how many scratches there were and it being very unpredictable, you could have told me any one of them would have won. I'd been like, yeah, I believe it. But LSU, even though the pitching has been kind of suspect, especially in the latter half of games and on Sunday, them losing and losing in the fashion that they did to Auburn was the big surprise. Well, they haven't lost a series all season. Yeah. Not even out of conference. Like, they haven't lost a series yet this year. So, for them to lose a series, and like you said, to lose it in the way that they did... Yeah, absolutely the biggest surprise. I mean, the Kentucky Derby, look, there there can be odds on favorites and they're, you know, horses that you think are going to win, but that's the thing about the you never know. I mean, Tappet Trice was one of the favorites and he finished in, in the back half of the pack. So you, you really just never know in that instance uh and and then like he mentioned with the Astros, definitely not really a surprise there. They're both good teams. The Mariners just played better at home. Shocker. But um, I'm going to lob you a softball here, James, and I'm going to let you spend the final two minutes of hour number one, given, given your piece. Yeah, I mean, 
I wish there was a little more time in it. I think if depending on what happens in hour number two, we could get more into it. But I mean, what the, the, nug- the Nuggets now are tied with the Suns. Suns have revived themselves. Devin Booker and what Kevin is going Durant on? We're both incredible. Oh my god! And then what the hell happened to Jalen Brown? Oh man, that last play. Why that's, would that second you, last play killed me? Why would you abandon James Harden mm-hmm. wide open in the corner when you have three other players that are playing help side defense on Joel Embiid? Absolutely, because I I have not been that scared of Tyrese Maxey shooting the ball not if he lately. wants if he wants to drive. Guess what? You still got like two or three guys in the paint that can contest the floater or whatever he wants to shoot. P.J. Tucker in the corner compared to James Harden in the corner. I'm a lot less scared of P.J. Tucker, so I would have rather Al Horford to go try and double Joel Embiid. But the fact that Jalen, I'm wondering, like, was that Coach Missoula's call to be like, hey, go trap? Right. Because if that's the case, what are you doing? You've seen James Harden torch you for 45 in game one, and at that point he was torching you for 39, now 42. Right. So yeah, it's you, like, why would you tell why would you tell that guy to go do the trap when you would have rather a different guy for that sure. you're not that you're less scared of in PJ Tucker? The Celtics are gonna have to figure it out because they have let Philly win one too many games in, in this series, and, and now it's a brand new series. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off talking some college softball. We'll also talk about the NHL and more talk with the NBA playoffs right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In our number one, we talked about LSU baseball dropping their first series of the season to Auburn. We recapped Cajuns baseball and softball as well and looked at the high school baseball state tournament coming up this weekend over in sulfur now let's take a look at the conference tournaments for softball in both the southland the sec and the Sun Belt. with justin mcleod of extra inning softball justin what's going on my man how are you i'm doing good i appreciate you having me it's always fun so let's start with the Sun Belt. top ranked louisiana 43 and 13 in the regular season they are the host school for the tournament this weekend at Yvette Girard Field at Lampson Park. They've got the bye until Thursday night at 7 o'clock. They await the winner of ULM and Georgia State. First, let's look at those first two games, Coastal Carolina versus Southern Miss, ULM versus Georgia State. Which one stands out to you more and why? Well, I do like Coastal Carolina and Southern Miss. I think Coastal Carolina this year, kind of surprised some people. They had a really good run in non-conference play, had a win over Ohio State, among some others. And I think they just overperformed expectations, and that's always a positive. 
Um, and then Southern Miss, you know, kind of came down to the wire with who was going to be the last couple of teams in the tournament. Southern Miss, you know, had had a good streak to start the season. Kind of faded some once you got into conference play, but just squeaks in. You know, it's a first-year head coach, at least at Southern Miss. She's coached elsewhere. But, you know, that's it's always good in the first year of a, of a new regime, as I like to call it, to be able to get that under your belt. And so either one of those teams would definitely benefit from that win. So to me, that means both teams are going to be fighting pretty hard for that win. And so that game, to me, that's why I honestly have circled for the entire tournament. The winner of that game, are either one of them just going to run into a buzzsaw that is Marshall lying in wait? I think so. I mean, the, the thing about Marshall is, I mean, during non-con, they had such a streak, and, you know, I, I'm even, I've even said it. You know, I wasn't sure what to make of that team in non-conference play because it was a sem- seemingly easy schedule. It was an easy schedule. Well, they still delivered in conference play. I've been really impressed with them. They've got Autumn Owen, just won the Triple Crown offensively in the Sun Belt. And, I mean, they've got a really powerful offense and some good pitching to boot. Buzzsaw, honestly, is a really good description. South Alabama and James Madison also on that top half of the bracket. But looking at Louisiana's half, they're going to face the winner of ULM, Georgia State. And then if they get past that game Thursday night, they'll play the winner of Troy and Texas State. Just how tough is that bottom half of the bracket for the Cajuns? It's tough, but for the Cajuns, tough takes on a different definition than pretty much anybody else in the bracket. Um, I mean, any of those three teams, um, any of the top three teams, I think could pose a problem where they're not just going to be able to run over them. But honestly, I don't know who's the who's the team that I think is going to beat the Cajuns. Granted, all you need is one, and that can happen any given day. That's that's the sport. Um, But I, I don't know that any of them really. Do I look at and say, oh, well, they're likely to beat the Cajuns? Um, not that UL is going to have just a super easy run start to finish, but I don't know that anybody that I look at and go, hey, you know what, I think they're going to beat them. Now, going back to the top half of the bracket, realistically, I know anything can happen at any given moment, but realistically, that top half semifinal is going to be South Alabama and Marshall. Hypothetically, if that is the case, Talk about that matchup. I mean, you talked about Marshall and, and how they were able to deliver in conference play. South Alabama's been good for a couple of years now right there in third place. Uh, what, what's that semifinal matchup going to look like? I actually, that, that's another one of those games, like I mentioned, that I've had circled just since the bracket came out because I think that, that matchup, I guess technically it's still a potential matchup, but you know, if that matchup happens, I really like that one. Um, for a lot of different reasons, but I think that one could be one of the most competitive, hard-fought games uh, of the tournament, maybe of the entire postseason. And I, I think the difference there is going to be whose pitching holds up. I think both offenses are scrappy um, and powerful at alternate times, and so I think that the real the key there is going to be which pitching set of pitching holds up better. And I don't know how I'd handicap that one, honestly. I really don't. Chatting with Justin McLeod of Extra Inning Softball. Let's go to the SEC now. Uh, LSU being the sixth seed in their tournament that's going to get played in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Their first game is Wednesday at 10 a.m. when they play Ole Miss. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about Beth Torina's cruise road to the championship game? Well, I think they're coming into the postseason with the right momentum after the series went over Georgia this past weekend. I think that's that's important for a team like LSU that at times has seemed like they, they ride the momentum whether positive or negative, they seem to ride that momentum. 
Um, starting off with Ole Miss, a team that they've played, a team that they took the series from earlier in the year, is is interesting. Um, just because that that's that's a matchup where those teams know one another. That's a matchup where you know, yeah, LSU won the series, but everybody saw everybody type of deal. Um, to me, I, I like the fact for LSU because they are riding that momentum. Ole Miss did take a game from Alabama, but I think the positive momentum for LSU and what LSU's lineup is capable of and what their pitching staff is capable of, I like that as a start for them. I think it's, I think it's about as good as it could be. Um, and, and then from there, I, I, it's obviously not – it's obviously kind of a different definition, but – I think that one win is key for LSU, and then after that, I mean, it's going to sound weird to say it, but I think anything after that's kind of just gravy. Picking up two out of three against Georgia this past weekend, how much momentum is that going to provide for for this team down the stretch in the tournament? A lot, honestly. I think that's a that's a huge thing for them. Like I said, they you know different portions of the year when they would get down or when they would be up, they would ride that momentum in in different ways, but they would ride that momentum so much. And I think that's going to be pretty key in the SEC tournament, but also in the NCAA tournament for LSU, just because, I, I mean, that, that they're so momentum heavy, or they've looked so momentum heavy at least, that, you know, if, if they can maintain that, that high, even if they don't, you know, win the SEC tournament, even if you go one and one, um, you know, that, that kind of thing, that could still continue to be positive momentum. And for them, I think that's hugely key, especially going into the NCAA too. And then looking at the Southland, McNeese comes into that tournament as the top seed. They've got a bye into Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Lamar, Southeastern, Nichols, all, you know, Southeastern, Nichols, obviously in-state schools. Lamar, not that far away from Lake Charles. There's going to be a lot of intricate rivalries here down the stretch of the Southland tournament. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on James Landerno's squad to this point and what they can do in this tournament? To me, McNeese is, is still the, the favorite. And I'll go so far as to call him probably the, the prohibitive favorite to an extent. I think this year, though, for the first time, there are a couple of teams like a Southeastern, maybe even like a Nichols, who I think have really outperformed expectations this year. Um, the teams that I think could challenge McNeese. Um, the kicker for me, I think, is the fact that it's double elimination. That that's that's one thing about the Southland bracket that is always interesting to me. A team like McNeese has been there so often, and they've they've won championships, even making the regional final, the NCAA tournament last year. That they have those veterans who have tasted that success in the postseason in whatever shape and form it came in. And I, and I think that's an underrated quality because nobody else in the Southland is in that position. You know, yes, Northwestern State's made the tournament and, and things like that, but nobody of the current makeups of these other teams has been there. And I think that's really key for McNeese. I still think McNeese is the favorite by a large margin, um, but I do think there's some teams that could challenge them, maybe push them to the limit, maybe even push them to a winner-take-all but at the end of the day, I think McNeese's veteranship and the fact that they have been in the postseason so often is, is going to be pretty key there. Now, you talked about the Southland tournament being double elimination. How many other conference tournaments in, in college softball still use the double elimination format? There are several. And, and for instance, I mean, even the NCAA tournament is double elimination in softball. Correct. And, and so a lot of people follow that model. Um, really what it comes down to a lot of the times is Teams, larger conferences have moved more towards a single elimination format 
mainly for a couple of reasons, one of which is if it's a conference, for instance, like the ACC, there are RPI considerations if, say, a 10 seed in the ACC makes it to the, the quarterfinals and you know plays a team who's 15 in RPI maybe the two seat or something. Right. And so a lot of, a lot of the bigger leagues have moved away from that potentially. Like if they have to end up having to play them and then maybe play somebody else, or maybe what if they lose? And then there are a lot of implications in a double elimination bracket. So now a lot of the bigger leagues, a lot of the higher profile leagues have moved into a single elimination format. But then a lot of the ones like the Southland um, that, that have one bid, one bid up for grabs no matter who it is. McNeese is a good team still a one-bid league, those are the ones that really see a lot more of the double elimination. Still, it gives them more games, gives the t- different teams better chance at, at winning a title, playing for a title, just kind of adds some extra pieces to it. Um, so, a, a, so a lot of the higher-profile leagues, Power 5 for sure, has, has moved into a single elimination pretty much across the board. But a lot of, of what I guess you would call the mid-major leagues still do double elimination, kind of still following that NCAA tournament model and format. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball joins us here on Crunch Time. Looking past the conference tournaments to the NCAA tournament, it, it, it feels like the Cajuns, the Tigers, and the Cowgirls are all three locks to be in the NCAA tournament. At what seed and where they play still seems up in the air. Where do you have these three schools as of now in the NCAA tournament? So... We actually just published our latest bracketology and extra inning softball today, so I'm, I can speak straight from that, actually. Your timing's perfect in asking that question. Right now, we still project LSU to be a top-eight seed. Um, we think we think they're going to sneak in right in that eight spot. They've kind of been on that top-eight seed bubble, and obviously top-eight means if they get to a super regional, they would host that as well as a Correct. regional. Um, so so we, we still see LSU in, in the eight spot. We see them as a top-eight as a potential super regional host. Uh, big big reason for that is they've played a really good, really tough non-conference schedule. And, you know, they have some really good wins. So we see them still in that position. Um, for UL, we, you know, they've been on the bubble to host a regional this year more than they really have at any point since Jerry Glasgow's been there. And right now we see them hosting a regional. We, have, we project them to host a regional. Um, today we have them as the 15 seed, which in a super, if they were to make it, would match up against UCLA. Um, we, we, so we've got them doing that. I mean, worst-case scenario, if for some reason the Cajuns fall back, because they have such a high RPI, a team in the top 10, top 11 in RPI, where the Cajuns have been for weeks now, has never not hosted a regional. Correct. So if the Cajuns maintain that RPI, that's going to be really key. And so we have them hosting. And worst-case scenario, we think they'll go to Baylor, if because we think Baylor would end up hosting. If UL fell back, UL would go there at the bus trip. Um, but right now we do project UL to host. And McNeese, we, we have going to LSU as a three-seed as the Southland champ. Um, at different times in the year, we've had them going to LSU, also going to Texas to the Austin Regional. And they're in a good spot to be a three-seed versus a four-seed. That's something we feel pretty confident in is that McNeese has a good chance of being a three-seed uh, should they win the Southland and make the tournament. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball talking conference tournaments and the NCAA Regionals. Justin, really appreciate your time as always. Uh, let, let's do it again next week when the brackets are announced and we can we can talk about the postseason. Sounds great. Always appreciate you guys. Have fun. And there he goes, Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. 516 
on your Monday. Let's take a timeout here. When we return, James and I are going to get back into the NBA playoff conversation, break down the games from the weekend, plus get you set for tonight's games. And then at 5.30, talking NHL playoffs and the NHL draft lottery taking place tonight. Who's going to get the services of Connor Bettard? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 520, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Let's start with last night's game. The Suns taking down the Nuggets 129 to 124. James, without watching the game, without knowing how the Suns played, if I would have told you that Nikola Jokic would have scored 53 points on 20 of 30 shooting and his point guard would shoot 52% from the field and score 28 points. You would tell me... The rest of the team probably didn't do jack. But would you think that they won the game with those numbers? I mean, I would assume so, but... Because Jokic scores 53, Murray scores 28, Aaron Gordon has 11, Porter Jr. has 11, Contavious Caldwell-Pope has 10. Every starter... Finished in double figures. And yet somehow, you lost the game. Devin Booker scores 36. Kevin Durant scores 36. And then good old Landry Shamit drops in 19 off the bench. Suns win 129-124. to 124. The Suns bench outscoring... The Nuggets bench, 40-11. to 11. That was a huge difference in the game. The big thing for me when I went back to the game was towards the second half, they just ran a lot of two-man action. It was just a lot of pick and pop, pick and roll, a lot of we just trying to figure out based on us when it came to Jokic and Murray because everyone else, it was kind of like they just told them, spread out, get away, let them work and figure it out from there. Because that's what you saw. And that's why you ultimately saw why Jokic shot 30 shots when you usually don't see him take that many, but end up putting up 53. That's why you saw Jamal Murray put up 25 shots himself and score 28. Devin Booker continues to impress me. We've talked about how we wonder if Steph Curry's human. I've been wondering... Has he 
has Devin Booker turned into a cyborg? Because it I, feels like he can't miss. I, I just, you know, he had that game a couple years ago where he dropped 70. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, oh, my God, Devin Booker. And that was against the Celtics. It was against the Celtics. Yeah. It was. And, oh, Devin Booker superhuman. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I mean, maybe. And he's always been impressive. Right. I, never, he's always been really good at scoring. But, like, there was a period where he kind of came back to earth a little bit. And he wasn't really carrying the team like he had been at one point. CP3 became CP3 a lot more of the facilitator. CP3 comes in. DeAndre Ayton turns into the player that we all thought that he would be. The Suns actually look like a well-put-together team. They make they make it to the NBA Finals. And then this year, again, same team. But then you bring in Kevin Durant. And you go, oh, crap. The Suns might finally have it. But then Chris Paul goes down. And you really, at least I thought at that moment, okay, the Suns might not be able to do this. Right, because the Nuggets were up 2-0 to zero at that point. And it kind of feels like, are we making the same mistake that we did with the Heat when Tyler Hero went down? Nah, Booker became that dude. On the weekend, he scores 83 points between Friday night's game and Sunday's game. Both wins for the Suns. Shoots 80% from the field on Friday, 78% from the field last night. 63% from three Friday night, 75% last night. 21 assists in the two games. I mean, I I could go on and on about the stats, but I'm going to start boring you. Right, because it's weird. Now that CP3's gone, you've put the ball more into Devin's hands, and he's already been so efficient. Shooting-wise, you would think, oh, he'd shoot even more. But no, he's been able to find open guys and get good shots for them as well, and they've been able to knock him down. That's why you've seen his assist total go up so much higher. Devin Booker has looked at the rest of his teammates and said, get on my back and watch what I'm about to do. Last night, it made it even better that he got help. Kevin Durant was incredible. He was great last night. Knocking down... Insane shots, finishing at the rim. I mean, Kevin Durant last night looked like the Kevin Durant from Golden State. It looked because he went to Brooklyn and you were like, man, what's happened to Durant? He's still really good. He still puts up his points, puts up his numbers, but you were wondering, like, what's up with the team production? Because they came up really close. And it was almost like a a KD if his size was like a normal size instead of like a 23 size shoe. Correct. It would have been a three instead of a two. And then they could have been the ones going to the finals instead of the Bucks that year. For sure. For sure. And and so the the Suns now feel like a team that is really and truly back in it. Oh, they are right back into this. The only thing now is you're headed back to Denver. That's the big issue. You're going to play in Denver twice. So Denver right now has the mentality of... Just win the home games. Just win at home. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to play seven games, but just win at home. That's all you got to do. Now, if you're Phoenix, you got to steal one of the road games. You got to. Preferably game five so that you could finish it in six. Could you imagine falling down 2 nothing and then them ripping off four straight wins? Oof. That would be devastating for Denver. I was going to say that that's going to create 
a lot going on in the offseason if that happens. And, and then the Celtics Sixers, look, I know we bashed on Jalen Brown for his kerfuffle at, at the end of the game yesterday. But let's let's give him credit for what he was able to do offensively. 23 points on 10 of 16 shooting. Jason Tatum also adding in 24. Marcus Smart with 21. Malcolm Brogdon with 19 off the bench. But it just wasn't enough to stop James Harden with 42 and Joel Embiid with 34. The big thing is in this series is at this point, I'm not necessarily worried about Embiid. If he's going to put up 25, 30 and get some boards, I mean, it's going to happen. The big difference maker to me is if James Harden gets to 40, there is a good chance that the Sixers win. But if you keep him to like a normal night where he's not popping off and is looking like the old Rockets Harden, then if you're the Celtics, you're going to win the series. So to me, you still have your guy on Joel as much. You still do your regular switching. But I would look to try and trap as much as possible because if Lucas Yang puts up more points than he usually does, if Tyrese Maxey starts really going off and puts up close to 30 the rest of the way at that point, I mean, you're going to live with it. The big difference to me is the closer and the clutch guys are Joel Embiid and James Harden. And you need to make sure you have at least a guy on both of them. I mean, you want to have one on Tyrese Maxey too, but I put more of the attention on James Harden at this point because if he's going to keep shooting the way he did in Game One and Four, you're going to have you're going to need extra for help sure. for sure. Let's look at tonight's games. You've got two teams that are on the road that both need wins to stay alive in this series. I believe. First, we'll start with the game that's going to play first at 6.30. Miami and New York. Going to be in South Beach. The Heat up 2-1 in that series. Look, if Miami goes up 3-1. It's done. I think it's over. Like, maybe New York gets one more and pushes it to 6. But, but they're going to come right back to Miami and right. finish the deal. And, and the, they'd be done at that point. So... Jalen Brunson needs to kick it into whatever gear he needs to. New York's got to get a win to stay alive. And then on the flip side of that, the night game tonight, the Lakers and the Warriors, which has been every bit as advertised as you were told it would be. If the Warriors go down 3-1 at this point, it's done. I'm not saying it's done. I am. I'm not, done. I'm not saying it's done at that point. It's not looking great, but I think they, the Warriors still have a good shot. I... No, I... They, they, if they go down 3-1, they still have a shot. I think they'd still be able to push it to 7 no matter what. Do they win it at that point? Well, you'd have to see. But I think even if the Lakers get the win tonight... I think the Warriors are still alive, and it's it wouldn't be done like it would be with the Heat Knicks. These games have to get closer. They have to get closer. Okay, so game one, the Lakers win by five, right? Game two is a 27-point margin of victory. And then game three Saturday night was a 30-point margin of victory. 
what the heck is happening between LeBron and Steph? I mean, we see that a lot in playoffs in general where, yeah, you'll have your close games where you're like, oh, it, it came down to just a couple of possessions. But then there will be other times where there's games and you just see utter blowouts and it happens both ways. Because game two, maybe one team will end up winning it there because they made really good adjustments and made changes that the other team wasn't expecting. And then the complete opposite happens on the other side where they're like, okay, well now we had to make the adjustments and stop that. So now you have to make further adjustments from there. What Anthony Davis shows up tonight? Probably average one. Because that's the difference maker, right? Jake Crane said it the other day, and then I've heard a couple other people say it as well. LeBron... Steph, Clay, you know, those guys, they're going to get theirs. The difference maker matchup in this series is who plays better out of Draymond Green and Anthony Davis. That's going to be the deciding factor in this series. I don't necessarily think it's going to be like an 11-point performance like we saw in Game 2. But seeing like a 30-23 from game one or a oh, that's not 20, I don't think it's going to be a double-double type of night. I think you could see Anthony put up like 20-8. and eight. Both games going to be absolutely fantastic. 6.30 for the Knicks and Heat, 9 o'clock for the Warriors and Lakers. We'll take a timeout here, 5.32. When we return, we're going to flip to the ice. We're going to talk about the NHL playoffs plus the NHL draft lottery tonight. My Washington Capitals have a 6% chance at the number one overall pick. Do they get it? Dane Lewis joins us next. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 537. Let's talk some NHL hockey. Deep into the second round of the playoffs, one team close to to closing it out could see a four-game sweep Wednesday night between Toronto and Florida Dane Lewis host of Locked on Stars joins us here on Crunch Time to talk about all of the NHL playoff series plus we'll get his take on the draft lottery tonight Dane what's going on my man how are you I'm doing great happy to be here and always uh, glad to talk playoff hockey and and of course the lottery as well it's a, a pretty big deal So let's focus in real quick on the stars. And my first question is, what the heck happened last night? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, I definitely was not expecting that result. I expected that Seattle very well could win a game at their home arena, but I didn't expect it to be 7-2. And really, one of the, the, you know, I think there were really two things that contributed to it a lot. One, the the Stars' best player in Miro Haskinen, the defenseman, uh, from Finland, he goes down early in the second period on a play where Seattle scores the first goal of the game. So, I mean, it's a double whammy there. You give up the first goal of the game after it had been 0-0 for the first 20 minutes. But then as the Stars, you know, they lose their best defenseman, their best player. And I really think that that kind of rattled the the quality of play for, for across the roster. And that included Jake Ottinger, who has been very good for the Stars in net all season, but then went on to have maybe the worst performance of his young career, allowing five goals and most of those goals coming off of shots that you would normally see him make. So 
I, I imagine that, you know, seeing a, a teammate of his, you know, fall down on the ice like that, taking a puck to the face and having to go straight to the locker room probably rattled him a little bit, probably rattled the team a little bit. And, and they really just were not able to recover. And Seattle is just a very relentless club. They play with a lot of energy. They, the whole roster, the whole lineup, really, there's not a time where you can say, oh, these guys aren't going to, you know, pose much of a threat. I mean, they have guys that can skate with speed, they skate with power. And I think the Stars were just overwhelmed from the get go. And then, you know, a few dominoes fall and things really got out of hand for the Stars in the second period. And I mean, you blinked and it was 4 0. Even after that performance and being down 2 1 in the series, you you have to think that the stars are still the favorite to to move on in this series, right? I, I would think so, and it's definitely not going to be easy from from here. I mean, being down two one, but that's it's just that. I mean, it's only two one, and it's a, a best of seven. So Seattle's only halfway there, and the stars were in this exact same situation in their last series where they split the first two at home. They they lose a, a pretty bad game three on the road, and so the the script it has been the same so far. Although I do think Seattle is a much different team. And so the stars are going to have to adjust a little bit differently than they did against Minnesota in round one. But I think it's far from over. And I think Jake Ottinger historically has shown that even after he has a bad performance, he's typically pretty good at regathering himself and refocusing. So I, I imagine he's going to be ready to go on Tuesday night. Miro Haskinen appears like he's going to be okay uh, long-term and hopefully shouldn't miss much time, if any at all. So I think the team. I'm sure that they'll be they'll be fired up after Sunday night's loss. I mean, no no one likes to lose in the playoffs anyway. Let alone seven two, where it really felt like you had no control over the game. So I, I would agree. I would think the Stars are still the favorite, uh, but I still expect this series to be pretty close and, and to go back and forth still. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me to see it go six or seven games. Now looking at the other Western Conference series, what have your thoughts been so far on Vegas and Edmonton with Game Three tonight? Yeah, it's been a, a fun series through two games and really a, a tale of two games up to this point with, you know, Vegas kind of taking the, the early edge, but then Edmonton really, you know, flexing their muscles in game two, especially with their star players. Leon Dreisaitl has been arguably the best player in the playoffs so far with 17 points, and he's not even considered the best player on his team with Connor McDavid right behind him with 15. And I, I think both of those guys realize kind of what's at stake with, with them and this team up in Edmonton this season. I mean, McDavid is considered the, the best player in the league. And uh, I mean, the same way that, you know, people talk about Patrick Mahomes in the NFL or, you know, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani in the MLB. I mean, that's Connor McDavid, but he hasn't been past the Western Conference Finals and they got there last year. And so now uh, it's kind of the understanding of they have to at least make it to the Stanley Cup final for this to be a successful season. But this team certainly has higher aspirations than just making it. Uh, but Vegas is certainly not going to be an easy opponent to get through. Uh, they have plenty of weapons as well. They're they're similar to Seattle in that they don't necessarily have one star player, but they have plenty of depth and plenty of guys that any team in the league uh, would love to have, including guys like Jack Eichel, uh, their captain Mark Stone. Uh, and even the, the goaltending situation has been a little shaky for them all season. They've lost a lot of guys due to injury, but uh, Lauren Brossois with the 5-2 and two record here in the playoffs, not the best numbers outside of that in terms of safe percentage and goals against average, but he's gotten the job done through you know this point of the postseason. I, I think the Edmonton Oilers will eventually win this series, uh, and I imagine it goes five or six games, but I, I do expect Vegas to keep things interesting. You brought up Edmonton and, and Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Having both of those guys on the same team is just unfair, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, you put Leon Dreisaitl anywhere else in the league, 
and he probably gets the same amount of praise, if not, you know, maybe a little bit more than McDavid. I, I do think McDavid's the better player, but I mean, it's it's two generational talents on the same team, uh, which is a great stroke of luck for Edmonton. But I mean, then you look at the guys they have around him, and it really is championship appearance or bust for them this year. I mean, it's such a talented team, and it all starts with those two. And both of those guys have lived up to the hype through the you know the first month or so of the postseason so far. The other game tonight, Carolina and New Jersey. How impressed have you been with, with the Hurricanes, and can they keep it rolling tonight to take a 3-1 series lead? I, I've been impressed with Carolina up to this point. I, I figured that they were due for a little bit of a backslide after uh, the first two games where they, they win in pretty dominant fashion. But uh, the Devils, I'm, I'm impressed with them as well. I really didn't see them getting out of round one. Uh, because I, I thought the New York Rangers were a more experienced team, a more veteran-led team, and the Devils are really young, but they've proven that they belong in this postseason. But uh, with Carolina, uh, I mean, plenty of star power, but plenty of depth as well. Uh, a team and a coach with Rod Brendamore who have been to he, – he was he won the Stanley Cup with the Hurricanes back in 2006, so he knows what it takes to get there, and these guys love to play for him. They play hard, they forecheck hard, uh, and they, they've gotten some pretty con- consistent goaltending as well. Uh, and they, they've really shown that they're an all-around team. They have a really good offense, but they also have the best penalty kill in the NHL at 92.6%. So it's hard to get power play goals on them, uh, but it's also you know hard to score on them too with the goaltending and the defense they have with veterans like Brent Burns. It's maybe the most complete roster, especially in the Eastern Conference, but I think you can maybe argue in the whole NHL too. Carolina looks very, very good, and, and I think that they'll eventually beat New Jersey, but the Devils scored eight goals in game three, so I don't expect that to be a, a pushover, but I think the Hurricanes right. will ultimately prevail. Yeah, game four will be tomorrow night, not tonight. Game three was last night, that 8-4 to four win for New Jersey. And then the last series, Toronto and Florida, as a longtime hockey fan and understanding how the things have worked in the NHL over the last 15 or so years, it still boggles me to see the Florida Panthers in the second round much less holding a 3 nothing series lead. But is this just another case of Toronto choking in the postseason again? I, I think it might. It has to be. I mean, because I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm shocked to see Florida here, uh, although I, I know that they, they have some good players too, and they had a rough start to the season, and I feel like that's kind of what people are remembering for, from them over you know the past several months is that they didn't start the season great, but they closed the season out really well. And they have a very similar roster as they did last year when they won the president's trophy and they suffered a similar fate that it seems like Toronto's about to suffer where they potentially get swept in round two. But, you know, they have a lot of the same pieces, but then they added Matthew Kachuk uh, in a trade for Jonathan Huberto, who went to Calgary, uh, really. And there were a few other pieces involved there, but those were the two big names. And Matthew Kachuk is better than Jonathan Huberto, both good players. But I really, it shouldn't be too surprising that the Florida Panthers are this good, but, I'm also surprised that Toronto, after a, a fairly resounding series win over Tampa Bay, I expected that series to be a lot tighter. I expected Toronto to play a lot more competitively in this series, but it, it just hasn't been the case, and a lot of their star players haven't really showed up. Uh, really, I feel like Austin Matthews has been held in check. I mean, he's a MVP-caliber player. He scored 60 goals last season, uh, and really outside of Samson off their goalie, I feel like it's just hard to get consistent play from their guys night in and night out, which is baffling. And I'm right there with you. I mean, they, they go out and they add a bunch of really nice pieces at the trade deadline. They take pl- players from St. Louis's lot, r- lineup, Chicago, 
I mean, they go all over the league to add depth. And, uh, and again, you got to give Florida a ton of credit for the way that they've played. But for Toronto to not even have won a game yet uh, and potentially be on the verge of a sweep after, you know, finally getting past the first round, uh, it feels like a pretty major disappointment, I'm sure, in Toronto. Dane Lewis, host of Locked On Stars, joining us here on Crunch Time. Dane, as we begin to wrap up, the draft lottery is tonight. Everybody vying for the services of Mr. Connor Bettered, the 17-year-old out of Vancouver. There are some really interesting odds tonight. Arizona, I mean, Anaheim having the best odds at 18.5%. Columbus, Chicago, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philly, and then the Washington Capitals come in at number eight. I'm a Caps fan. 6% doesn't seem like very good odds, but is it possible that Connor Bedard gets to spend the first couple of years of his NHL career with Alex Ovechkin? It's very possible. I mean, the 6%, you're right, not the best odds, but there's a lot of teams below that. Detroit's at 5%, St. Louis at 35 and then even Calgary is all the way down at 0.5%. So Washington finds themselves a little bit in the middle. And that's one of the more interesting ideas for me, just looking at the teams that are, are you know, in the running to win the draft lottery. I mean, I can't think of anything much more exciting as a young player for Connor Bedard to start his career off with a guy who's likely going to finish his career in Alex Ovechkin with the most goals scored in NHL right. history. And I think that that could be a fun duo to watch and, of course, Bedard could probably learn a thing or two from Ovi as he's certainly seen a thing or two during his tenure in the NHL. But it's it, it's not very likely you write 6%, but, I mean, that's the, the thing with draft lotteries like this is every now and then one will really come out and surprise you, and you'll get a team that you never would have thought would end up winning. The draft lottery at 7 o'clock tonight. Dane Lewis, the host of Locked On Stars, joining us here on Crunch Time. Dane, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the lottery. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. That sounds great. Thank you, guys. And there he goes, Dane Lewis, the host of Locked On Stars. We'll come back, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app, and it is your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the free mobile app today for Apple or Android devices by searching the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game Southwest Louisiana sports station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Back here on Crunch Time, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the Astros on the road still after dropping the series to the Mariners. They will now open a three-game set with the Angels. First pitch tonight at 8.38 p.m. Hunter Brown on the bump for the Strohs, 3-1 on the season, 2.60 ERA, 36 strikeouts. He's still given up zero home runs. Meanwhile, Patrick Sandoval will go for the Angels. He's 3-1 as well with a 2.93 ERA. 24 strikeouts. He's given up two home runs on the night or on the season, excuse me. Mike Trout, eight home runs on the season. Jordan with seven. Chaz McCormick is back in the lineup for the Strohs tonight. 
hitting 275 on the season. The lineup is Dubon, Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu, Tucker, Pena, McCormick, Diaz, Hensley. Alex Bregman will be your designated hitter as David Hensley will take over at third base tonight for the Astros. Speaking of the Angels, James, Shohei Otani is going to go into free agency this offseason. And it has been predicted by 26 major league executives that his contract value could be northwards of $500 million. What? That's absurd. But are you shocked? Not really. There it is. Not really. Uh, I mean, two-way players just aren't a thing anymore. And, and when you have one as good as Shohei Otani, I mean, God, yeah, he, he's, he's going to get paid. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest question being asked is, yeah, it might be northwards of $500 million, but could he get six? Could it be $600 million for Shohei Services? Will the Angels pay that? Or will it have to be somebody else? And also, $550-ish million spread across how many years? Is that a 12-year deal for Shohei? Because if you break it down that much, 43-44, that's about the going rate for a superstar player in the MLB. I want to thank our guest today, Hunter Bauer, Justin McLeod, and Dane Lewis for joining us today. Come back tomorrow. Matt Bellinson will join us to cover Louisiana Tech. Ross Jackson talking all things Saints, and we're going to the moon. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.